Welcome back to Africa Science Focus, a side of Net Production. I'm Sally Amutabi. This is the third episode in our series investigating coronavirus vaccine hesitancy in sub-Saharan Africa. We heard French scientists, French professors talking about vaccines coming to be tested in Africa. And, you know, there's this huge distrust for the West. The distrust comes as a result of, you know, malpractices that have happened in the past. A lot of countries within sub-Saharan Africa were colonized, for example, in the case of Cameroon, by the French and the British. And people locally feel like the French still have a strong hold in the country. So when you have French scientists sit and make statements that are derogatory, it comes down to the people and the people say, oh, well, maybe there's even a lot more that happens underneath the map that we do not see. That was Cameroonian scientist Alison Weir at a side of net debate on vaccine hesitancy held in December. In our previous two episodes, we heard how coronavirus cases and deaths had increased across sub-Saharan Africa and how misinformation was spreading and affecting vaccine confidence. In this final episode of the series, Africa Science Focus reporter Brooke Abdu brings you vaccine science from the continent. We find out when vaccination programs will begin in Africa and hear from the health specialists who say people should not be afraid to receive them. Dr. Vicky Bailey, a researcher at the University of the Witwatersrand, begins our program. Dr. Bailey has played a leading role in South Africa's coronavirus vaccine clinical trials. People's concerns are always, we need to take them into consideration when it comes to vaccines. I mean, we're asking them to trust us. But I think what a lot of people don't necessarily know um, is that a lot of these vaccines that we are using for COVID-19, we have actually done a lot of research prior to this pandemic. So before SARS-CoV-2 came along, there were scares with MERS coronavirus and the original severe acute respiratory infections. And when both of those coronavirus um, scares came along, we started developing these vaccines. So a lot of this research has sort of been ongoing for many years before we got to this point. And by this point, millions of people have been vaccinated. So we would have seen if there were any major reactions that we have to worry about. Uh, shortly after the, you're vaccinated, your body actually breaks down the vaccines completely and they're removed from your system. And all that remains is the immune response to the vaccine. So the chances of there being long-term side effects are mm. very minimal. Mm. I think one of the reasons for this fears could be lack of transparency regarding the researches conducted. So just tell us what these vaccines are made of. What's in these vaccines? So the mRNA vaccine is literally, it's just a blueprint or an instruction that's encased inside of a lipid envelope. This lipid envelope, it's basically just fat that allows entry into your cells. It then releases this mRNA, which is messenger RNA. Your cells then see this mRNA and it translates it. And that's where the immune system um, takes over. 
Then the vector-based um, approaches, which is the AstraZeneca, the Janssen's, the Sputnik, those ones, they all um, adenovirus vector, which is basically an adenovirus is just a very common cold. So we've just used that as a transport vehicle that we've put in a section of the spike protein and your body reacts to that spike protein insert and amounts an immune response. There's really nothing for your body to really respond to or have any serious adverse events to. More than 60 COVID-19 vaccine candidates are undergoing clinical testing worldwide. So far, 10 have improved for use in a range of countries. The World Health Organization has its own criteria relating to drug quality, safety and efficacy. On the 31st of December, the WHO approved the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for emergency use and this week it added the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine to the list. How are the shots given to people? Um, for the vast majority of these vaccines, it's a two-injection um, vaccine. So you'll go in for the first one. It's an injection to your arm, um, your upper arm into your deltoid muscle. And then generally about three to four weeks later, you would come back for a second dose of the same vaccine, which, again, it's an injection into your, into your mm -hmm. upper arm. So once a person takes the vaccines... How long do these vaccines stay effective? From what we've seen and from what we can tell from the immunological data, we believe that the, the response or that your immune response will be effective for many years, upwards of three to four years. It could very well be longer than that. But at this point, the studies are still relatively new. And obviously, we don't want to make any promises that we can't keep. In conclusion, let's let's raise some pointers why people shouldn't be afraid of taking these vaccines. When you are infected with COVID-19, it is massive. Every single part of your body is attacked by this virus. And even if you just have mild symptoms now, the long-term effects, we don't even know. Some people have gotten better and have come back with blood clots and heart problems and kidney problems. And so um, it's a no-brainer for me. I cannot wait to get vaccinated so that, A, I can protect myself from that, but more than that, that I can protect my family and my friends. I can protect my elderly mother. These vaccinations are probably the silver bullet that we need to get past this pandemic. Someone who knows from personal experience what it is like to have COVID-19 is Dr. Fiona Atebwe. She is the WHO's Vaccine Introduction Medical Officer in Africa. Uh, let's first begin by discussing what WHO Africa is doing to secure vaccines for Africans, low-income countries in Africa. So we are going through the COVAX facility to secure vaccines for at least 20% of each African country, which we are calling equitable distribution of vaccines. So if we do the mathematics... 20% uh, of these... Um, about two, about 200, 200 million people will be vaccinated, that means. No, that's about 300 million people, actually. So we are looking at securing 600 million doses. Ah, excellent. So what's the time frame for these vaccinations? So we are looking at June 2022 to have vaccinated at least 60% of Africans. 
we are looking at 20% of Africans by the end of 2021. Those are the vaccines that will come from the COVAX facility. The deals that the COVAX facility has, has signed with manufacturers. So member states were requested to sign up if they were interested in joining the COVAX facility. The COVAX facility, it is getting a pooled demand of vaccines. So countries coming together and saying these are the number of vaccines we need so that we use that pooled demand to create a pooled supply. Assure the manufacturers that if you make us huge doses of vaccines, we shall actually buy them and consume them. Mm. So can you tell me what, what is the financial requirement of vaccinating 20% of Af- Africans, as you said? We have different components of the financing. So, for example, we have the vaccine doses themselves. For 20%, they will come fully subsidized by the COVAX facility, free to the government. Then we have the operational costs, the costs that the government have to pay. And this has been estimated for 20% has been estimated at around uh, $4 billion dollars for the African continent. So can we say that this initiative has been successful so far in, in acquiring um, vaccines for, for these low-income countries? So we can say yes. We got just one challenge when uh, the richer countries came out and took up almost all the vaccine. But we are glad to say that the manufacturers we had signed up with did not let us down they still assured us that for the low- and middle-income countries, we shall still have doses as promised for these countries. What are, what are the, the other challenges that you faced in acquiring vaccines for distribution across the globe, especially in low- and middle-income countries? So we know that the first vaccines, the messenger RNA vaccines that came out, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, were vaccines that require special handling. These are vaccines we are used on the continent to using vaccines that are kept between 2 to 8 degrees. These are vaccines that require the minus 70 uh, storage capacity and the transportation of minus 70 is not an easy thing. Fortunate or unfortunate, we had had an experience with the Ebola vaccine, which was stored at minus 80. So we had experience in handling these vaccines, but not all countries have this, what we call the ultra-cold chain. So that is one of our biggest problems. We don't manufacture ultra-cold chain on the continent. So even then, acquiring it was, is, is not easy. Of course, the other challenge is that we, wa- we are fully, fully dependent on the WHO approval for emergency use listing of these vaccines. Creating infrastructure that is up to the job of distributing vaccines across the continent will require collaboration between a range of parties and stakeholders. Dr. Moses Alobo thinks Africa is ready for the challenge. This is probably one of the best times to ever think about developing vaccine facilities. The current pandemic is moving quite fast and uh, the development of a vaccine facility will probably take very long and therefore that may not be you know, an immediate solution. We probably should be thinking about a vaccine facility uh, probably for the future rather than for this particular uh, pandemic. So I think what I'm saying is that the opportunity is there, but we just need to sit down and strategize. I do not think uh, we can continue relying on import of vaccines uh, from other parts of the world.
Dr. Alobo leads the African Academy of Sciences Grand Challenges Africa program. He believes it is important that people understand the vital role that vaccines have played in human history. Uh, I mean, uh, currently there's already news that uh, something is happening around an Ebola outbreak in parts of Central Africa, meaning that we are still not yet out of the woods, whether it's coming from uh, hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola or coming from coronaviruses like uh, COVID-19. We, we need to be at a place where we respond to, uh, you know, local factors according to the understanding of African scientists. Now, we all know that African genome is more heterogeneous, meaning therefore that uh, we are a more diverse group of uh, people within the African continent, at least genetically, which means that uh, the way we handle uh, some diseases, the way we handle some infections may be a little bit different from the way other people within other geographical areas out there would um, uh, handle it. Therefore, we need more research, more investment to the extent that uh, whether it's a vaccine or uh, you know whether it's a medicine, especially now that we are moving towards personalized medicine, um, have them respond uh, or be matched to the needs of the African continent. Dr. Moses Alobo, finishing today's report on coronavirus vaccines and the systems that will distribute them across sub-Saharan Africa. We don't have time for a question and answer segment this week, but we'll be back to answer your questions next week. If you want to know more about what's happening in science in Africa, send a text or voice message via WhatsApp to plus two five four seven nine nine zero four two five one three and we'll find an expert to answer your question. You can subscribe to our program, download episodes and leave a review at www.sidev.net. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis. The editors were Fiona Broom and Jackie Opara Fatoye with reporting from Brooke Abdu. I'm Sally Amutabi. See you next Wednesday. This program was funded by the European Journalism Center through the European Development Journalism Branch Program with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.